Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hola, and welcome to a big interview from the vault. Look, all right, no fooling around. We asked our socios, our members, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to pick their favourite from season two of this long running and I have to say much loved show. You're about to hear one of the interviews they picked as the best from a selection which included international footballers representing Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Bulgaria, Argentina, England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Here's what I had to say about this one when we recorded during season 2016-2017. Having already interviewed him for my Spain book about their amazing trophy treble, Thomas Hitzelsperger is somebody that I'd desperately wanted to sit down and talk football to on the big interview for ages. Intelligent, articulate and passionate about this game that we love, Thomas is all of that and much more. In fact, I'll be frank and say that for the three of us when we were recording with him in London, even given how much respect we had for him, it was something of a shock about the degree of articulacy and clear, deep thinking about football he's got now that he's an analyst rather than the player. It was stunning to listen to, refreshing and great, great fun. And he breaks down his 11 years at the Bayern Munich Academy, where, amongst others, he emerged through alongside Philip Lamb. The courage and daring of Thomas's decision to quit that club, age 17, will amaze you. Villa fans, listen closely. I'll bet all of you thrilled to having the hammer at Villa Park will probably be still surprised at exactly what cojones he showed in order to move from Bavaria to the English Midlands and become a star for Villa. We also touch on his part in Stuttgart's Bundesliga title win in 2007. Hitz talks us through his decisive goal on the final day of that thrilling season, a stunning volley. Do yourself a favour, search for it in YouTube right now. Thomas Hitzelsberger, Stuttgart, Bundesliga title. We talk about his take on Das Reboot, as Rafa Honigstein famously called it, and Klinsmann-inspired revolution from 2006, which, with the help of Samer and the German Bundesliga, took their football back to the top of the world in 2014. I hope this brings you enjoyment and satisfaction and tells you a story about a very, very impressive, interesting football man.
Thomas, you enormously helped me and Backpage when we were writing the book about Spain and, and their era. So it's really good to meet finally. First thing I want to say is like, there are golfers who aren't like Arnold Palmer with a swing that comes all over the place and they just hit the ball and it flies and they don't even feel hitting the ball and it's sweet and you can hear angels sing. Now, do left foot. Sometimes your right foot is a little bit like that. At what stage in your life did angels sing to you when you put your left foot in contact with a football and you went, oh, I've got a superpower, what just happened there? Or was it all hard work and sweat and practice? A bit of both, really. Right from the start, when I first kicked a football and it went further than most of my mates, I realised this is a quality that I have and I have to cherish it and I have to make sure... I keep it and, and become even better at it because we know in football, I mean, back in the days when I was like five or six years old, I didn't realise I would become a professional football player one day. But uh, as a football player, I think it always helps to have one quality that stands out. Mm. And of course, having a really powerful left foot, that's how I stood out. And I just made sure that I would become even better, hitting the ball harder, being more precise. So I just kept practising. But of course, I realised early on, this is a quality that I have and uh, not many others have. Then take us to rural Bavaria. Literally walk us through it. Where did you do this practice before somebody helped teach you, before somebody spotted you and brought you into a system? Well, I was quite lucky the way I was brought up. You know, I've got five older brothers that was played with me when I wanted to play. Grew up on a farm. There's a lot of land, you know, just outside of the house. It's almost like a proper football field. I made sure when I was eight years old, because I, I signed for Bayern when I was seven. And because I had so much space at home, we asked them after a couple of years whether they have some goals for us that we can put on, on, the, on the grass on the field. And that's what they did. We picked those goals up, and I think it started from nine or ten years. We had those two goals outside of our house. So I could always play football. Somebody wasn't a goal, and I took shots, and we played football. I just love football, you know, just like you talk about it now. It, it's so much fun. And back in the days, I just couldn't play enough football. I had training two, three times a week. When I went back home, I played football. And to have that luxury of having a proper football field at home with two goals, what more can you ask for? When you do that on a farm and you're gifted goals, what was it? You said it was like a pitch. What was the surface like? Pretty good. I, I made... It wasn't bumpy. No, it wasn't like a, a Wembley pitch, you know, but it was good enough. You know, it was better than most other football pitches that you get. And uh, I just made sure, I told my dad, you've got to make sure it's, it's well cut, you know, you cut the lawn every other week so I can play decent football. Because he would sit there sometimes watching me play and of course he realised I, I was a big talent and he wanted to support me all the way through and he did and part of it was cutting the lawn. Were the brothers supportive and full of admiration for this talent or did they sort of push you about and boot you a little bit? Uh, no, they were really supportive. I mean, almost all of them played football. My oldest brother, he was, he was a decent footballer. He played in the fourth division at some point. And uh, they as well, they could spot that I'm, I'm highly talented. And, mm. and I had that dream of becoming a football player, a professional football player. And that's why they were always there for me. They would um, take me to training and, and watch training and take me back. And somebody had to help out on the farm at home. So there was always somebody there to help me and make sure that I have the best possible way to train, play and become that football player one day that I did eventually become. I think you've touched on something because even when you've got the gift of terrific natural talent, it isn't simply honing that talent. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears and hours in cars and dedication from people around you in order to like, even begin to realise the dream, never mind get to where you got to. 
people need to sacrifice themselves for you. Absolutely. The good thing is I've almost always enjoyed it, you know, training because when I signed for Bayern Munich at the age of seven, you're always surrounded by good players and, and they all have that dream of, you know, playing for the first team one day. So the support was there, but there's a big competition, you know, when you, when you play for such a big team, every time you play, the, the, the teams you play against, everybody wants to be Bayern Munich. So it's kind of in you that you have to work so hard and, and in training you have to compete with the best players in your age group mm-hmm. even in, in, in the entire country and that was a motivation and, and like I said most of the time I was highly motivated I enjoyed it but there was spells when I thought am I going to go all the way through to the top and I have to make a lot of sacrifices and there's times when you just don't enjoy going to training but I would say I was, I was really disciplined and uh, my parents they made sure that I just stick to it and, and those spells when I just didn't enjoy it as much they said you just have to work through it and they taught me that discipline and, and my, my siblings as well they were there for me and I just felt like I have a responsibility you know with all the support that I get from the family I don't mm-hmm. want to let them down mm-hmm. I have to give my best every day and, and that's what I did but for the majority of times I've hugely enjoyed it If I put the puzzle together I can hear that you felt I've got something here and get you loved the process of training or winning or beating somebody or scoring a goal what a beautiful pass age 7-8 but, but the big dream is, I presume you weren't an 1860 fan. I, pre- I presume was. you were 1860. I was, the entire family, 1860, absolutely. God, I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked the question rather than just presume <laughs> yeah, well, any further. Well, obviously my family, they realise, you know, when you get a phone call from Bayern Munich as a kid, you know, they're the best club in, in the country, even though the family's 1860 supporters. My first game was 1860, not Bayern, yeah. as a fan. And, but we were sensible enough to say, well, I've <laughs> got to go there. You know, they're the best club in the country. And if they give you the education that you need, then you go there. And of course, I love Bayern Munich from that day on. And I thought, you know, I have this dream here. Yeah, I'm at that, the best club. That's a very nice phrase, but hold on a second. You're in the big interview now. So I, I, I live with Arbaloa um, at the end of last scene was saying, it's been an honour to wear this shirt. It's just, Told me through the first time at training, somebody hands you a Bayern Munich strip, and you're going, "Yeah, okay, yeah." Well, I was too young. You see, if, if that had happened at the age of sixteen, seventeen, or something, it would have been more difficult, you know. But at the age of seven, although you know the family, there are blues and. I'd talk about 186 and everything, but at seven, you don't have much experience. You Okay, you play for a huge club, and you think, yeah, that's, that's a dream. You know, it, it feels different. You're part of this great club, and then you put on the shirt, and there's no history with other clubs, so it wasn't difficult for me to kind okay. of readjust myself and say, well, this is my new team. I'm a Bayern Munich player. I'm a Bayern Munich fan, and, of course, I went to see all the home games, and I admired all the, the players in the Bayern Munich team so for 11 the Olympic years. Stadium, right? Olympic Stadium. Who, who are we talking about? Are we talking about Maga? Are we talking about Hitzfeld? That was before then. Uh, Otto Rehagel at the time, I think, was there. Yeah. Uh, Giovanni Trapattoni, um, some big managers, players. He, lots of Mateos, yeah. story, won't he? Yeah, yeah. So you're watching a trap, banging his shoe on the table... Yeah. Calling out Struntz and Basler yeah. in that era, you're coming into the system, uh-huh. and later you and Trapper worked together. What kind of Bayern was it then compared to now? Do you think? Well, it was uh, like I said before, the best club in the country, but it wasn't as consistent as it is now. You know, having won the Bundesliga just for the fourth time in a row. Back then, they had fantastic players, but it was also a time when they brought in foreign players for a lot of money. And that's when I felt as an as a academy player, it's becoming increasingly difficult to get into the first team. They were labelled the FC Hollywood at the time yeah. because of what you just said uh, with Trapp, you know, his famous speech there. Sometimes they won the Bundesliga, the next year they would finish fifth or sixth. 
and it was just that time you know you had uh, interesting players and managers but they weren't as consistent uh, the fan base was always there and it was, it was still a huge club and they would play in, in the, the Champions League and everything but nowhere near as good as they are now I'm really really interested when you see an academy player who was your principal character that, that, that guided you taught you and what was drummed into you what were the values that were drummed into you well, of course, you always realise playing in a game how big the club is because everybody wanted to beat you and the way that people looked at the club. So that was one part that not everybody liked you playing mm. for Bayern Munich. Mm. Uh, of course, the huge fan base, but at the same time, a lot of people hate the club. That was one thing, but also looking up to players like Lotte Mateus, for example. You know, they were the players, the 1990 team that won the World Cup. Uh, there's some Bayern players in there, but Lotte Mateus, for example, he's just stood out. And, and now I know because I've played with players, I played with him, and I say he was just the best player that you could imagine. And um, I, I could watch them in training occasionally, but the problem was, unlike in England, there's no bond between the young players, the academy players, and the first team. So this was like a dream. You, you couldn't really think, well, it's not far. There was a fence. After a while, they, they put a fence around the training pitch, so it made it clear, you know, those are the first team players and you're the academy players. There's nothing in between. And my experience was coming to England, you would even have lunch with the first team players. You know, you're an under-19 player or reserve team player. You sit down with the first team at Bayern there was no contact whatsoever you could watch them train but don't talk to them you know they just never wanted to bring the young players and the, the, the first team players together so who made it from your era and, and I guess was Lam sort of two and a half seasons behind you in the academy or uh, a year behind me yeah oh, we hardly year. ever played together at Bayern so I mean obviously I know him pretty well I yeah. played with him at the national team but um, he had to go on loan, first of all. He was in Stuttgart. And that was sort of the time when it, it just shifted a little bit, when they realised we need these young players because they brought in a lot of foreigners and they spent money for them. And it didn't quite work, you know, because bringing a guy from, uh, I remember Adolfo Valencia, for example, bringing him in for a lot of money, it's a completely different culture. And if you don't integrate them, mm-hmm. if they don't integrate, don't uh, speak the language, and then some Brazilians, Massini, I remember, he played there as well. And then I thought, well, this is pretty expensive. So we might as well just spend money in, in our academy and bring it through these young players. And I would say Owen Hargreaves was the first one, even though he came from Canada mm. at the age of 15, I think. And uh, But he played by an academy and then he went all the way through into the first team. Philip Lahm was another one. But there was also a generation, I think, uh, Trapp actually got them into the first team. That was uh, Didi Haman, Markus Babel, Dietmar Frey, Markus Munch. They were a very good generation and, and four or five of them made it into the first team but that was kind of the only time when I was at Bayern that you know young players were promoted into the first team before and after they just preferred to buy players from abroad How did they handle saying to you look it's not going to happen? Well I, I can say fortunately that never happened to me before they told me you know it's about time for me to leave I left because I was there for 11 years and I was always part of a, a smaller group that was really talented and you know I, I could see Players come and go. I was there from the age of seven. Mm-hmm. Every year, two or three players dropped out. Mm-hmm. New players came in. Mm-hmm. And of course, my motivation was like, I don't want to be told to be that one and who's not good enough anymore. So, of course, I was good enough every year and I was promoted to the next team. And then, like I said before, they told me I wasn't good enough anymore. I had an offer from Aston Villa. You know, it happened through an agent. I went to the Under-17 World Cup in New Zealand. An agent uh, talked to me and he handed out his business cards and said, well, if you guys are interested in a trial in England, I'm pretty well connected. And I thought, yeah, that's interesting because I've been there at Bayern for quite a long time and I'm just part of the club, but no indication that I would 
eventually go into the first team and I wanted to play first team football and suddenly you know you, you meet this guy who says well I can get into the Premier League and I'm thinking well why not take a risk there and, and go there for a trial and that's what I did didn't tell the club didn't even tell my parents I thought I just this is a maybe once, once in a lifetime opportunity and um, like I said I didn't tell anyone apart from my brother he helped me organise it and then uh, got on the plane and, and showed up in Birmingham at the Aston Villa training ground on a Monday morning and trained with them for a week and then um, they were so happy and offered me a contract. That's one of the most astonishing <laughs> things I've ever heard in a series of interviews where we've been told some pretty astonishing things. And I was surprised, you know, I got surprised myself for that move. Up until then, you know, I was the kind of guy who would go into training every day, try his best, listen to what the manager had to say and try to do to his best of his ability. And there comes an opportunity, you know, so far away from home, like I said, in New Zealand, the agent is telling me, this is an opportunity, I can help you. And I think, yeah, I should do this. So for the first time in my life, I thought, I'm going to take a risk here. Because after three or four days, Bayern found out. I, I told my manager at Bayern... The, this the, is why the, you're the, in Birmingham, they find out. Yeah, because I told my manager at Bayern, I said, well, I have, at the time I did an apprenticeship, I worked for a company, and I said to him, I have to go to another city in Germany to work for a week away from Munich, so I can't come to training. And said I flew to Birmingham, and after three days, Aston Villa did, they needed permission for me to play in a practice match. Okay. And obviously, they sent a fax to, to Bayern so Munich, Brian. and I said, Well, uh, your player is here. And he said, No, no, he told us he's somewhere else. And obviously, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Hoeneß, they asked me to go back immediately. I mean, these are the big, big guns. Yeah, and, and suddenly I felt like, yeah, they know that I'm, I'm there. I'm still there. Mm. And, uh, yeah. But the risk is looking maybe not like a win just at that moment when it's Hoeneß and Rummenigge. Saying. Of course, and then I had to tell my parents and I had to yeah. tell my manager at the club. And, of course, I had to go back. But I stayed until the end of the week and um, went back with a contract in my pocket. And then I went to see Bayern and said, listen, I felt, you know, if I told you the truth, you wouldn't have let me go. Yeah. So. And that's why I did it. And in the end, it turned out to be the best, almost, yeah, the best decision of my life. They couldn't believe that a 17-year-old Bayern Munich player is not under contract and can actually make the trip to Birmingham yeah. and, and train with them. Yeah. Uh, because they asked me on the second day, are you, are you serious? You don't have a contract for Bayern Munich? I said, no. And that was part of the reason, of course, I, I felt I can do this because yeah. I'm not, you know, with Bayern. I mean, I've been there for 10 years, but I've never signed a, a contract. Yeah. So I'm free to go whenever I want to. Yeah. And they just couldn't believe it. So I trained for a few days and they could immediately spot, like, this guy's good. Why is he here? Because he's, he's pretty good. And um, they tried to convince me after a few days. They said, that we want to see, see you in a practice match. That's why they need to get the permission from Bayern. That's when it all started to become a little bit difficult. So I never played in a practice match. But what they saw in training was enough for them to offer me a contract after five days and said, we want you back. And that was in, in end of January, beginning of February. Then I went to, back to Bayern and had about six months to decide on my future. Bayern offered me a contract. I also had a trial with Liverpool and with Celtic and then I decided that Aston Villa is a club I want to join because they really made me feel wanted all those months then I signed for them the, the light bulbs are exploding in my head at the moment you described really articulately this isn't your phrase but it was a slightly dog eat dog atmosphere in the Bayern Munich training ground in the academy because so few would make it through the bottleneck into the food. it was only a week at first yeah. but was there a noticeable difference in atmosphere at Aston Villa in the training or the attitude of the way people or is it identical football's always a shark infested swimming pool I mean they were curious at first obviously the players asked themselves like you always have trialists some are better than others but they knew my story you know he's, he's a trialist he's a regular at Bayern under 17 team why is he training with us and, and they could uh, unleash some of the hammer shots in, in, in the first <laughs> training session 
and, and and they thought, who's this kid? And and suddenly the manager would set up training sessions where we were trying to hit the ball as hard as possible. And I, you know, hit players and do free kicks, set pieces, and take shots from everywhere. And they just loved it. You know, the manager really loved it, and I loved it. And the camaraderie was good, and and training was fun. You know, most of the time we just warm up. You know, play rondos and and then play games. When I say rondos, like five against two, and it was fun. And then uh, you do some sprints in between and have seven aside games. And I thought this is fun. You know, this is a lot of fun here, and they were really encouraging. And I liked the atmosphere. And it was competitive, yes. And I could tell the difference between training in in Germany, where everything everyone was nice, and you could talk to the trainer uh, to the manager. And there, the manager was the boss. He was the gaffer, and and the players they would kick other players in training. And it's like, yeah, this is this is good. You know. You just give and take, and I enjoyed it. I had a really good time there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Villa really matters to us, and, and we'll touch on them again, but um, I want to go back to angel singing. Maybe the loudest angels ever sang was against Energy, Energy Corpus, which, if you're tired of talking that, about that goal, then that's fine. We, we can leave it, but... <laughs> this is the last time I talk about it one of the, on your <laughs> podcast. You lie. <laughs> one of the guests we had previously on here was Gaisca Mendieta, who, who scored his two greatest goals, one of which resembles yours against Corpus, at the camp now, straight from a corner, lift volley top corner. Mm-hmm. And the other was in a cup final where he jiggles the ball over his head, swivels, volleys at home to beat Atletico Madrid. Last game of the season, Stuttgart have never won the title. You've been a key player for Stuttgart all season. You won nil down. Schalke are winning elsewhere. Schalke, famous title bottlers uh-huh. in the Bundesliga. Can you take up the story, please? <laughs> Yeah, it probably starts the day before when, you know, for the first time we went to the top after match day 33, we went to the top and suddenly we had to defend that, you know, position to win the Bundesliga because up until then, you know, it was always Schalke, Bayern and uh, maybe Werder Bremen, they were there at the top as well. 
and, and then suddenly we popped up and um, had to defend that. And I was like, up until then, we were all buzzing. Yeah, we enjoyed going to training. Players would even come like an hour and a half before training, go out like 50 minutes, an hour before training and, and play and, and really having fun. And we would go out together in afternoons and just chat and, and enjoying ourselves. And suddenly, that last week... Everyone got nervous. And what if we now don't win the league? We, we've lost everything. Uh, so I was so nervous. And the run-up to the game on, on the Friday, just the day before the game, nobody would speak in training. It was like, this is really bizarre. So you could feel the tension going to the ground. Like the fans were there waiting for us. It was just unbelievable. It was a hot day. Probably one of the hottest days. You know, everything's to an extreme now. And then we go one down to a team's already relegated. And you think, what is happening here? You know, the, the stadium goes quiet. You know, there's this really strange atmosphere. And up until the corner comes in, I stand in the right position. And before I scored this goal, it was almost identical situation. Pavel Pardo puts a cross in, and I have a shot, and it gets blocked. And I thought, the likelihood that this happens again is like, it's just almost impossible. It is impossible. And what happens, the, the Coppers defence do the same again. They let me stand there about 20 yards from goal. Nobody marks me. Ball comes in. I just hit it perfectly. I've never done this in training before. And suddenly on that day, it goes in. And you think, like, I couldn't even dream this. Uh, and it happens. And just the emotions that go through your body. Of course, now I get goosebumps. But, um, it's just so incredible. You know, your family is there. They're like, probably the greatest day in your career. Uh, when I, yeah, in your, in your career. They're there. They're witnessing it. You don't know what to do, and then suddenly I have to celebrate. I've never really practiced to celebrate. I almost fell over because I kicked the corner flag, and you think this is embarrassing. And, you know, so many things go through your mind, and, and you just, like, from that moment, of course, I felt like this is our day, this is my day, this is our day, and it can't go wrong. And and I just felt I had a really good game. And, and then, of course, um, when we scored the second goal, you just wait for the final whistle, and you think everything goes, goes through your mind, the celebrations, and this is what an achievement. You know, you win the Bundesliga, and you don't win it for Bayern Munich. You win it for another team, Stuttgart. It's been tough in the run-up to it. The season before, I almost left the club because they didn't seem to want to hold on to me. Now, is that with Trap or with V? Because I'm in V as your manager who, who helps you or guides you or you guide him, possibly, to the title. But, but what's the relationship? That previous season when things aren't quite right, is that Trap? Uh, it was with Trap the first season. And with him, you know, I was in and out of the team. It was my first season in Germany in the Bundesliga after five years with Villa in the Premier League. And it took me time to adjust, you know, to German football, which sounds weird, but that's the case. I haven't played in the Premier League for five years. And then you have an Italian manager and not just... A Ita- or an Italian mm. manager is is Trap. Giovanni Trapattoni is a legend, mm. and you have to deal with him. And the club didn't really know how to deal with him. The fans didn't like his style of play, and eventually they sacked him. And I thought, you know, he's a great manager. Um, his ideas didn't quite work out at the club. And then Amin Fee came in uh, in the last third of the season, and he didn't really like what he saw from me and I was kind of in and out of the team and towards the end of the season he was unhappy with the entire team and I was one of those players yeah he was pretty uncomplimentary wasn't he he, he was must yeah. I use the word allegedly he said something about an ox oh did he which is maybe how he pronounces hammer I, I don't know it may just have been a mispronunciation I, I don't know <laughs> he had a racehorse and he well, was he an odd grumpy man he, he had really no pedigree 
He didn't have pedigree. No, at that's all. true. He, he it was his big opportunity in the Bundesliga to you know be in charge with a big club, and he could have some success there. And what he saw that he didn't like, so he thought in the summer he's going to get rid of some players, bring in his own players that he wants that he thinks can bring him success. But what happened with me is I was part of the World Cup squad that summer, and when I came back, I, I played well for the national team again. So he probably felt, well, I can't really leave him out there, but he's not my favourite player. So I ended up staying there and I told him, listen, I'm not a left back because in the first game of the new season, he played me as a left back. We Mm -hmm. lost 3-0 to Nuremberg Mm -hmm. and I I was responsible for all three goals, more or less. Okay, Okay, I had had a shocking game, Mm -hmm. a really shocking game. And the next game, I wasn't even in the squad. You lose 3-2 the next game as well, so it's a bad start. So um, he left me out of the squad and I said to him, listen, something's got to change. That was still before the transfer window closed. And and I said, listen, we've got a problem here because, you know, in the preseason I did well. You played me as a left back. I was clearly not my position. I played badly. And he said, well, you have to wait now. And I I just felt, oh, it's time for us to go, you know, separate ways. I couldn't find a club, so I had to stay. And then I talked to him. I said, listen, now I'm here. Uh, if you want to make use of me, you've got to do it in midfield. And he said, you've got to be patient. I've got 25 players. They all want to play, so take your time. And it took a few weeks until he threw me in, uh, gave me you know, a few chances, and I played well. And from that on, I just became a regular in the team, and everything went ever so well. Because in my eyes, you're still on the sidelines when you play Bayern away. I missed that. But by the second half of the season, you play Bayern at home in the Mercedes Stadium and you beat yeah. them 2-0 yeah. and I think before we talk a little bit about the details of that relationship with, with Vey and how it changed we, we've skipped to 2007 it's, it's worth putting in context that for example in a recent interview we did for the big interview it was with Luca Viali as you know mm-hmm. and we were obsessed by Samp and their title triumph how extraordinary it was how thrilling it was and how it chimed with uh, people of our generation I'm older than Neil and Martin but we start to see Italian football for the first time on Channel 4 so it was that perfect confluence of Serie A's most powerful, exciting time and on our screens. And Samp's victory was unbelievable. We're, we're in a couple of months beyond uh, Leicester having done what people are describing as the most extraordinary feat in, in British football right. ever. Whether it is or isn't, we can come back to. But Stuttgart measures in that, that trio, doesn't it, of Leicester-Sampdoria because... Yeah, it's not their territory to win Bundesliga. No, it's it? not. I mean, what worked in our favour is that we didn't play in a Europa competition, uh, not Champions League, not UEFA Cup, as it was called back then. So we had uh, all the time in the world to train, to to do what the manager wanted, and we did it well. But of course, nobody expected us to be up there, and it kind of created momentum. I mean, like I said, the the spirit in the team was excellent. Players just played at the best. Too many players played at the best in that season. That's why we got there. And at some point in the season, of course, it was just like I described earlier. Everybody loved going to training. People saying, "Okay, what we're we going to do? You know, after training, let's go out and have some coffee together and chat." So this was a group of, of players that had so much fun that on the pitch you could just see that we get on really well with each other. And uh, informed players like Murray Gomez. I mean, he was he was on fire. Semi Kadira played with him. Uh, in midfield they were all good players but I think some of those other players were just probably better than they should have been and uh, and it all came together and it was I don't know when it started but like I said at some point we realised this even you know we weren't one down and I never had the feeling we're going to lose this game you know have that belief that you go one down you always come back and that's what happened and it's kind of probably the last game that went like this was obviously the, the Cottbus game but the one before against Bochum it was symptomatic, you know, we went one down, 
came back, I scored the equaliser, Garmin scored the 2-1, Ami was just unbelievable. So I can talk about a, a, a title-winning team with Stuttgart, that we were friends, but it's always a chicken-egg question, what was their first, the good atmosphere or the, the good performances? Because it's easy when you win five games in a row, you think, oh, I love this, you know, mm. training is much easier, the guys are fun, you know, this guy actually, he's, he's not as bad as I thought he was, <laughs> but when he's not playing well, I think he's, I, I don't like him. And uh, that's what you have to create. You know, that's a big question for the manager and the club or, or the national team, the people that look after the players. Okay, how do we get the best out of the players? Back in the days, 20, 30 years ago, you had to punish players. You'd say, okay, if you don't win, you're not going to get a bonus or you get extra training. Nowadays, I think the younger generation, of course, you have to explain to them why do you do certain things. Mm -hmm. They need to understand why they go to training and do certain exercises. What does it mean to win? trophies for you personally like what's what does football mean to you okay if, if you're successful how does that change you if, you if you're not successful how do you deal with that lack of um, winning i mean it's, it's it of course you, you all know you have a psychologist now sports psychologist as part of the the, the group with the teams in, in various leagues of course and i think it's, it's important players need to talk sometimes they don't trust the manager so you need somebody else who's kind of outside of it a little bit and find people that you trust, and that's that's part of the game nowadays. You've always been driven by not only ambition and a knowledge of your talent, but a certainty about where you wanted to get to. So is it fair to deduce from what you've told me that you're one of these players who hasn't throughout his career needed that kind of psychological help or a conviction, or, or were there moments? Well, the, the thing is, you know, I, I said I want to become a professional football player, and suddenly I'm there. You know, I'm playing in the Premier League, so I've achieved my goal. What's next? How far do you want to go? And of course you'd say, you know, I want to play for the national team. I've managed that. But then what's next? And then you have dips in form, and, and you think, how do I deal with that? I still think I'm the same player. I play as well as before, but the manager just drops me to the bench. And of course you, you start looking for people who can give you a really good assessment of, of your performance and how they see you, because, you know, often players think... I'm the best player in the team. Why am I not playing? And agents tell their players they are brilliant. You've said something rare there because players who aren't in the team, they don't go asking people about where they're going wrong. They go, he's an idiot. You have said something rare there. Yeah, well, I have questioned myself and I'm not the only one, of course not, but uh, the majority of the players, of course, they, they look for confirmation by yeah. you know through the managers, uh, yeah. the, their agents, and they tell them, oh, do you want to talk to the manager? Should I? And that's how it all starts. But I think you've got to be true to yourself and, and say, how can I improve? why and then do you ask the manager or you just say okay I don't talk to him and I just show him in training mm -hmm. it doesn't always work like that and then you need somebody is it your agent is it you know your, your, your partner that you talk to is it a psychologist is it a uh, somebody else from the family your father your mother whoever it is you have to find that person or that group of people who are honest to you if you're not honest to yourself and tell you the truth, tell you how to move on from that, you know, being on the bench or not even in the squad, what to do next. That's where you need to find the people that you can trust. It's funny you describe the German setup in that way because when we talked about Euro 2008, I know that there were, although it was a barnstorming way, you're, you very nearly won the European Championship. Mm -hmm. And although you've won important things, that was about to be an extraordinary experience. And that wasn't the most united German squad there. There was a lot of disharmony. But you, you won the quarterfinal in barnstorming style 3-2, which speaks about a unified group working brilliantly together. You do, and the history's beautiful because, you know, the guy in that year behind you in the Bayern Munich training ground, you give the pass to him, Lamb scores, you, you're through in the final, you've beaten Turkey in an extraordinary game. What was going wrong at that time? It's interesting you mentioned that because I think that was about the only time when I was part of the team that wasn't really a team and still 
or when I say performed, got the right results. Yeah. And you think, okay, we were disjointed. As you said, you could tell we, we didn't start well into the tournament. We lost to Croatia, I think. Beat Poland the opening game, lost to Croatia in the second game. And I think we just beat uh, Austria 1-0. You just had the sense, like, you know, we're in the next round, but we haven't really played that well. How did it happen? And then, as you said, you know, we played well against uh, Portugal and, and, and Turkey. Suddenly we were in the final, thinking, well, we didn't play that well, but we were in the final. And I, I believed we're Germany. You know, we just really good at tournaments, but we just couldn't fool the Spanish. They were too good. That was the problem. They were just way too good, and they just didn't believe in that. The Germans, you know, when they go to a tournament, they always win, uh, which was a shame. I would have liked to win the Euros. <laughs> but they were just too good. And, and then, obviously, after the game, it was so obvious to see this team is not a team. They haven't worked together. There's a, a group of uh, a lot of good individuals, but those extra 5 or 10% they can get out of a group if, if they really work together. We didn't have that, and uh, that's one reason why we lost. Well, the second, of course, because of the Spanish they were the best, you know, they simply were. But we came close, well, we only lost 1-0, but it was um, disappointing. And as you said, I didn't go back thinking, oh, this was like the best group I've been in and we should have won and for whatever reason we didn't. It's just we, we lost because Spanish were better and we weren't the, the group we should have been. The, the guy who, who saw the weather changing um, in my world was Iker Casillas because before the semi-final in, in Durban in, in 2010, I had a nice interview with him and I just I asked him a fairly straightforward question about... He said, the Germans are coming. He said, they are building a generation to dominate Europe for a long, long time. He said, the game tomorrow, he said, we're good. We might win it. But he said, bad weather ahead. Uh-huh. And he was sure and he was clear. And, and a guy we've got respect for, Ralph Honingstein, encapsulated in a phrase, Das Reboot. What does Das Reboot mean to you and, 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 and how did it happen? Did Germany need to change a great deal? I think it started uh, with Jürgen Klinsmann. He was brave enough to um, take everything apart in the FA, German FA, and say we need a new philosophy, uh, a new way going forward. We uh, need to bring in young players. Uh, we've got to th- seriously think about how we approach this. If you want to win trophies, we have to work harder. Up until then, I think, from what I've heard, I wasn't part uh, of the regime before Jürgen Klinsmann and the ones before it before, that they would often just go through the motions, you know, that they wouldn't work hard in training because they said, well, you do your hard work at the club. When you come to the national team, it's like, you come here to enjoy it. You know, you have like a 45-minute training session and then afterwards you just have a good time and, and relax. Jürgen Clinton said, you come to the national team and I want to make you fitter. I want you to have a goal and talk about how we're going to achieve this goal. So this was a totally different approach. Not everybody liked it. But he got rid of some of the people in the FA that he thought would stand in the way of that new way going forward, which was very controversial. Mm. He had to take a lot in. Uh, he took all that criticism, and I think he was brave enough to, to change that. He didn't get all the, 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 the glory. Joachim Löw did later. But I would say Jürgen Klinsmann deserves a lot of credit for changing the perception and changing the way the German national team is working as a group. You know, We did fitness tests, which was unheard of before. Players hated it. And they're like, why, why do we do fitness tests? He said, we want to control where you stand. Okay, first thing, you do fitness test. Next year, I want you to improve on your speed, on your endurance, agility, whatever we did there. And, and players don't like to be controlled that way. And that's what you have to change. And of course, bringing in younger players, they grew up that way, it makes it easier. If you deal with a 32-year-old, who up until that point has never done a fitness test with a national team, you say, why am I going to do that now? You're not telling me that. 
it's it's quite difficult. But if you have a 19, 20-year-old who, who's been brought up that way, it's a little bit easier. And they're all talented young guys. That's why I think it took a few years to, to bring in the, these young players, gifted players, and also tell them they have to work hard for their success and they're willing to do that. You, you've touched on something the Spanish did because in this country, the Klinsman figure who takes on the FA Blazers doesn't exist. It can't happen, we're always told, in, in England where we are now where we're speaking. And a shock in England when the, the, the Spanish FA says, well, when we see talented 14-year-olds, we go and spot them wherever they are. We spot them. We don't wait for the clubs to supply them. And we say to the clubs, and we oblige the clubs, that these 15-year-olds come and train at our centre three days a week for three months when they're 15. And uh, we use our own unpaid scouts to, to find them. And we, we begin to educate them about the Spain way. Then they go back to their clubs. Yeah. And they make friendships. There's an echo of what you said about that at seven. You don't know that Bayern Munich are the enemies, even though you're an 1860 fan, because you haven't gone through. So Iker and Xavi can be friends, even though one's a Barcelona fan and one's a Madridista, because they're young, yeah. they haven't fought, they haven't clashed, and therefore, hands across the barricade, it's super. And, you know, you've described something in Germany where you said that the players maybe don't like a national team saying a fitness test, but the clubs won't like that either. Yeah. Clubs must have been just as difficult to bring on side. Absolutely. So what happened was Jürgen Klinsmann, he said, this is what we do here, the national team, and I will encourage you to do exactly the same, not the testing, but the extra training at the club. So suddenly, the fitness coaches at the club say, why do you tell us what to do? Me as a player, I would go to a club and say, here's a, you know, some of the exercises the national team want me to do. And they say, well, we've got our own fitness coach. You know, we know how to deal with you. So that was the controversy in the first year or so. So it, like I said, this is another thing that Jürgen Klinsmann was willing to do to fight with the clubs. He knew that this would happen. But he said, well, if we, we've got the World Cup at home. If you want to be successful, these guys have to work a lot harder. They're not at the same level as some of the other teams. So obviously you've done something wrong in the past. This is my way. You've got to take it. And that was pretty tough because they said, why is the national team so important now? But then, of course, a lot of people realised we all want to have a great World Cup in our own country. It took a long time and a lot of uh, conversations between the national team and the clubs that eventually they would all work together. And as far as I can judge now, it does go hand in hand. So the, the, the clubs have become better, the national team have become really good, and they will benefit from it. And the people who count a great deal who aren't talked about a lot, fans benefit from it because... I presume that there was a pretty big celebration for finishing third, winning that playoff against Portugal in 2006. Can you compare it to the quarter of a million people that hit the streets in Stuttgart? Are those memories like, and, and to what degree does it give you satisfaction for the hours of effort and does it stay with you or does the trophy lift stay with you or the friendships or the goals? What the experience, you know, going there before the game, the day before the game, we were in the hotel and there's like, I don't know, 10, 15,000 outside, maybe not that many, but it was, it was an awful lot of people standing, you know, on the street celebrating and they want to see the team and it was just incredible. The, the four weeks in, in Germany that time was just unreal. You know, we couldn't expect that. Uh, we played well. The fans carried us through. Unfortunately, only until a uh, semi-final because Italy, they're quite clever. But it's the memory. For me personally, I've only played, I think, 10 minutes altogether. A bit disappointing. I'm happy to have been part of it. But for me, it was more a motivation to say, well, I've, I've trained with the best players in the country for four or five weeks or even longer, including the pre-season for, for the World Cup. Just go to your club and make use of it. You know, you're fitter than ever. Now you go to your club and just you show your club manager, I'm ready for the new season. Just use me. Although it started terribly, as I described earlier. I was still fit, 
you know, and then uh, eventually paid off that following season. We won the, the, the title with Stuttgart and I think the reason was because I was fit. You know, there might I had be a that. correlation between the two experiences. I, I believe so, yeah, because it, also the mentality is uh, the basis is there, the fitness. Uh, I had the disappointment of not playing uh, in the World Cup or, or only playing very little. I said, I want more, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've had a sniff of it. I was part of the World Cup squad. Now I, I want to prove at the club that, you know, my place in the squad is justified. So that was the motivation. And I just stayed part of the national team squad for, I don't know, another four years. At some stage in the future of this interview, even if we have to leave it for a little while, could we do this again? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank I'd you. To. Then that's all yeah, I want to know. It's a great pleasure. An really enormous pleasure, yeah. a real education. You're a man that we all admire, super footballer, and um, it's been what football should be, a joy. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.